Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner and I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. First thing, if you came in and you did not get one of these deep and wide booklets, would you mind raising a hand so we can get one in your hand? There's one. Anybody else? A couple people over here. You're going to need that. And in particular, I would encourage you to turn to pages 10 and 11. There on pages 10 and 11, you will find our sermon notes. So everything that I'm sharing with you this morning, you can follow along. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But it is the beginning of quarter four, which means it's the beginning of the end of the year. Is that not incredible? I don't know if that's incredible. Incredible might be the wrong word, right? It's crazy uh, that we literally have three months left and then we are on to a new year. And I think 2022 is going to be different. I think when the clock strikes midnight, literally everything is going to change. And it's just going to be totally different, right? That's what I thought 2021 was going to be like. I'm not sure about uh, 2022. But we're in the middle of this uh, vision called Deep and Wide. And we kicked it off in January. And really, it was the goal of it was this, right? We have, I've stopped trying to guess what the future is going to hold, right? Because uh, you just can't even, I mean, I can't guess what's going to happen tomorrow. Only God knows, literally. Uh, but... While we can't change the circumstances or uh, we can't identify what our circumstances are going to be, we can identify what we are supposed to do. And regardless of what's going on around you, we are called, in my opinion, and I think Scripture tells us this, to go both deep and at the same time go wide. At the beginning of the year, what we did is we kicked off this series and this vision by looking at the life of Jesus. And I don't know if you remember that first sermon in the Gospel of Luke. Luke, uh, Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, goes up to the mountain and he spends all night in prayer. And while he is praying, he's speaking to the Father, he comes down from the mountain at the end of the night, in the the beginning of the day, he chooses his 12 disciples, he begins to teach And he begins to heal. And what Jesus models for us is he models for us the rhythm of the Christian life. Going both deep, retreating for intimacy with the Father, and going wide, being released to minister to other people. Now, I don't think that that was a one and done thing. I believe that was a rhythm that Jesus modeled for us. That that's what we should be doing that we should be regularly and consistently retreating for intimacy with the Father and then being released to care and minister to other people. So from the life and model of Jesus, what we said is that Vintage Church will grow deep by focusing on, number one, who we're becoming in Jesus, and then number two, by focusing on who we are inviting into Jesus. So we began the journey looking at each quarter a deep habit and a wide habit. You're going to see where we've been. We kicked it off looking at the rule of life. And I want to encourage you, if you're new to the rule of life or you need to kind of go back to it, if you look in the front half of this booklet, you are going to find on pages 4 through 5 a place 
where you can make adjustments to your rule of life or create it for the first time. So we did that. The deep or the wide habit was evangelism. Quarter two, we looked at the deep habit of silence and solitude and the wide habit of service. Then last quarter, quarter three, Bible reading and prayer and generosity. And today, as we kick off quarter four, we're looking at community. And then next week, we're going to be focused on the wide habit of hospitality. So that's where we have been. And like I said, there's a ton of stuff in this booklet. I would encourage you to bring it with you next week. If you're a part of a V group, bring it with you to your V group because our V group study is in there for the next two weeks as well. We also have a ton of resources online. So if you go to our website and you go to our deep and wide page, which is at nola.vcmvmt.com slash deep and wide, you are going to find kind of an intro to the, to the vision. And then if you keep scrolling down on the page, you will find buttons for each quarter. So after this morning, that's going to be live. You can click a button that says resources. You'll find my sermon, sermon notes, v-group study, additional resources. All of that is there for you to look at and for you to take and make it a part of your life. As we talk about community, I want to start by sharing a quote with you from one of our recommended resources about the significance of community. Look at what he says in the book, Sacred Companions. David Benner, the author, writes, The Christian spiritual journey is a journey with we take with others. Each of us must take our own journey. And for each of us, that journey will be unique, but none of us. That includes you. That includes me. None of us is intended to make that journey alone. Anybody a fan of The Lord of the Rings? Anybody watch or have read the books, right? If you didn't know, they were books before they were movies. I know that's hard to believe. But uh, there are two friends in The Lord of the Rings. Who are they? Frodo, I mean, if you don't, you got to know Frodo, right? Frodo and Sam. And I don't know if you know this story, but Frodo has the ring. It's the evil ring that's, you know, basically kind of like sin. And he's got to take it to Mordor and throw it into the fire and destroy it. And along the way, his friend Sam journeys with him. Because Sam loves Frodo and cares for Frodo and recognizes that this journey is going to be intense and that Frodo is not going to be able to do this journey alone. And so literally through all three movies, about nine hours of your life, uh, you see Frodo and Sam making this journey. And there are moments when Frodo wants Sam there. There are moments when Frodo, guess what, doesn't want Sam there. But does Sam ever leave his side? Never. And I think what the Lord of the Rings shows us is the significance of biblical community. Every single one of us are on our own journey, our own spiritual journey, growing in the image of Jesus, learning more about our God. But at the same time, we cannot and should not take that journey alone. We need other people. We need people to help us along the way. 
So we're going to be looking in the book of Colossians. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Colossians chapter 3, it's towards the back end of your Bible. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. And at the, at the very beginning of your notes there on pages 10 and 11, this is the main idea that I want you to get today. We can go deep when we intentionally, everybody say intentionally, in, oh, are we serious? You can't, it's right there, read it. We can go deep when we what? Intentionally. Keyword, intentionally develop, I get a lot of hate for this phrase, but I don't care, spiritual friendships within the church. We can go deep when we intentionally develop spiritual friendships within the church. So let's read what Paul writes. He says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on what? Love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with, thanks, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and I do believe that when he writes this letter, he's writing to the whole church. But what I want you to see, and what I think is true, is that the principles that Paul talks about in these few verses apply not only to the larger community, the big church, you and I, but also to our small groups, to our V groups, to even smaller groups of three to five, to any type of community that you and I, that we have within the church and with other Christians. So here's what I think Paul says first. Number one, become like Jesus. Become like Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, if you go back and you look at verse 5 of Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, put to death. And what he begins with is this long list of sins. And then he says later, where we just read in verse 12, put on. And what he's doing here is he's creating this imagery of the sins that you and I wrestle with, that we struggle with, that hold us down. We're literally supposed to take those sins off like old, dirty clothes. And then we come to these other virtues, kindness, gentleness, meekness, patience, and all of these, and we put them on like new clothes, new clean clothes. Believe it or not, in the ancient church, they were baptized nude. Now, we're going to do that next week, so be prepared. I'm kidding, kidding. But I'm not kidding about the early church. In the early church, they literally would get into the baptistry, they would be baptized nude, and then they would come out and they would be clothed with a white robe. 
And the white robe symbolized that new life that they have in Jesus. And so that's what Paul is getting at. He's getting at this reality that you and I, while we need community, we first and foremost have to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth, our own spiritual development. We have to do that because if we don't want to do it ourselves, no one that comes alongside of us, any sort of community that we have cannot force us to do something that we don't see as important and that we don't want to do. So Paul tells us these are some of these virtues that we're to put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. In the life of vintage, one of the ways that we describe this is with our discipleship cone. Some of you might be familiar with this, but right here at the top is our gatherings. Every level of this cone, discipleship is happening. And here at the gathering, we're singing songs, we're hearing the word preached, we're serving, we're giving, we're practicing communion. We're doing all of those things. But then we go down to our V groups, which are our small groups of 10 to 20 people. Then we go to our formation groups, which we're going to talk about today. Then we go to what? What's at the bottom? Self. I can't Monday through Saturday visit every single one of you, knock on your door and say, hey, have you read your Bible today? Have you prayed? Have you confessed your sin? Have you met with other believers to grow in your faith? That's, well, I want to spur you on and I want to encourage you to do those things. It's ultimately up to you, to yourself. So Paul says to put on all of these things. And why these virtues? If you look at, again, these virtues of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, it's interesting because what I think Paul is saying is he could have given us a whole other list of virtues. But he shares those because if you don't have those, community is going to be very difficult. If you don't have compassion... If you don't have humility, if you don't have patience, right, community is going to be really hard. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. I'm a pain to live with. And I have a feeling all of us at some point or another are a pain. Paul is saying, listen, as followers of Jesus, we put on these virtues that then allow us to live in the kind of community that God wants us to live in. So we're called to become like Jesus. Number two, we're called to forgive like Jesus. Is it not interesting, just by the way, that Paul begins talking about community with what? Forgiveness. As if in community, what are you going to have to do a lot of? Forgive. Look at what he says in verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, doing what? Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. See, forgiveness, the root word of forgiveness actually comes from the root word of grace. It's the Greek word charis. And it's all about what? Forgiveness is about extending grace. Because grace is receiving something that you don't deserve. So if you need forgiveness, chances are you've offended someone, you've hurt someone, and you're responsible for that hurt. And ultimately, do you deserve grace? No. But in forgiveness, you are 
extended grace. And what Paul is saying is, listen, you and I, if we're in Christian community, this is how we're supposed to live our lives. We're supposed to live our lives extending grace. Why? Because we've received grace from Jesus. The good news of Jesus, the gospel, is all about forgiveness because it's all about grace. Jesus came to earth as fully God and put on flesh, became fully human, went to the cross to die not for his sins, but for whose sin? Us, you and I, rose from the grave defeating sin, death, and hell that we might have forgiveness, that we might be made right with God. That's why we respond to the gospel message through repenting, turning away from our sin with faith, trusting in Jesus, and then publicly confessing that faith through baptism. The gospel is the example, it is the foundation by which we extend forgiveness. We're to be like Jesus in extending grace. And here's the other thing, because community will never survive without forgiveness. This is why we need forgiveness. Have you ever thought about that? If you canceled every single person that offended you, chances are you would never have another person in your life. And if you put that to the church, what would happen? If you and I, if every time we were offended or we offended someone and we just said, okay, no, you're out of my life, would there be the church? No. Because I, I can almost promise you that there's somebody in this room that I've hurt or offended. And you could probably look around the room and say, yeah, there's somebody in here I've hurt or offended. We have to extend grace by forgiving. Look at what one author says about this reality. He says this, the challenges that is about community are real. But these are precisely what we must face in order to grow and mature in our true self. Scripture reminds us that in the midst of broken, sinful, frustrating people, God's Spirit is at work creating a transformed community. God's not surprised by our brokenness. His way of maturing us isn't thwarted. In fact, it's in and by the messiness that God does the supernatural work of drawing us into the likeness of His Son. This is the community that we're in, whether we like it or not. Because each and every one of us are broken, sinful people in need of forgiveness. So we're to become like Jesus, we're to forgive like Jesus. Number three, we are to love like Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 14. And above all of these, meaning go back to all those other virtues, meekness, patience, all of those. He says above all of those, put on what? Love. Why? Because it binds everything together in perfect harmony. The image, again, is of clothing. Paul is saying, listen, when you came to Christ, you put on all those new clothes. You took off your old clothes, you put on your new clothes, and then love acts as what? It's like a belt. You put a belt on to do what? Keep your pants up, right? That's a lesson in my house that my son Gabe is learning right now. He's got to wear a belt for his uniform, and he thinks it's the most absurd thing in all of the world. Like, why do I need to wear a belt? I'm like, dude, you got to keep your pants up, right? Put a belt on. 
Paul is saying, listen, love is that belt that if you have the belt of love on, all of these other virtues, compassion, meekness, kindness, gentleness, patience, you can then continue to live those out. This isn't the first time that Paul has said the most significant virtue of the church, of the Christian life, is what? Love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. I know we've heard that read and preached at weddings as like the quintessential thing for married couples, but it's about community. What does he say? So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. If you want to be in healthy community, focus on love. Now, the easy thing to do in any sort of community is focus on your differences. The easiest thing to do is focus on where you disagree. And I'm not saying in community you won't have differences and you won't have disagreements. You probably will. But what I'm saying is when your primary focus is first on love, you are then able to work through the differences and the disagreements. That's what Paul's getting at. We're to love like Jesus Number four, we're to live peacefully by Jesus. Look at the beginning of verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Now when we read the word peace, what we immediately think is the cease of strife or the the end of war. And yes, those things are included in that, but behind this word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And in that word, that is a loaded term. It means just more than the ceasing of of fighting. It is about wholeness. It is about wellness. It's about delight. It's ultimately about the way things are supposed to be. So what what Paul is getting at is that in the, the kind of community that you and I live The peace of Christ or the way things ought to be, that wholeness, wellness, delight should be ruling in our hearts. Now, what's interesting is this word rule, it's actually a reference to like a referee or to an umpire. So, you know, the Saints are playing in 18 minutes. I know I've got 18 minutes to be real quick. It's a home game today, right? You have referees. And what do the referees do in a football game? They call the game, right, to make sure it's fair. When somebody has scored or if someone has uh, committed a penalty, whether there's pass interference or there's holding or there's an illegal block, they want to make sure the game is played fairly. And in the same way, what Paul is getting at is he's getting at when the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, community is able to be carried out in the way that it's supposed to be carried out. Because the peace of Christ, which is given, it's an objective thing, it's given to us because of the gospel, right? The peace of Christ comes into us when we follow and trust Jesus because what? We're reconciled with God. We're brought back into relationship with God. So we're given the peace of Christ. And that peace then extends not just to our relationship with God, but to our relationship with one another. 
And so if we let that peace of Christ rule in our hearts, when you're upset, when you're frustrated, when you're angry, when you disagree, the frustration, the anger, the upsetness, the disagreement is not going to be the thing that rules in your hearts. The peace of Christ is what will rule in your heart. Now, Paul is saying we have this, but we have to let it rule. It's a decision that we make as to whether or not we are going to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts or we're going to let something else rule in our hearts. Interesting thing, I think, too, is that it's the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. When the peace of Christ rules in my heart and when it rules in your heart, we are then able to have the kind of community that God wants us to have. It can't just rule in my heart. It can't just rule in your heart. It has to rule in all of our hearts. So we're to live peacefully by Jesus. Quickly, next, we're simply to be thankful for Jesus. Do you notice how quickly Paul says this? He's been saying all of these things, and at the end of verse 15, he says, and be thankful. It's a reminder for you and I that Christ should cause thankfulness within us and within our community. That when we reflect on the goodness of the gospel and what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, we can simply say, God, we're thankful for Jesus and what he's done. And at the same time, I think it causes us to look at our community and say, God, we're thankful that Jesus has brought us into and called us into this community. We're thankful. We're, gra- we're grateful for what God has done for us. Next, we are to dwell on Jesus. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell or live in you. That word literally means it's like you're living in your house. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with, thanks, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, here's the thing. I shared this analogy in the 9 a.m. I, I think it makes sense, so follow me, right? When you're at home by yourself, what kind of clothes do you wear? Don't tell me you're naked. I don't want to hear that, right? But when you're at home and there's no one else around, what kind of clothes do you wear? That's right, comfortable clothes, right? I have what I call weekend pants. I don't know if anybody else has weekend pants. They are always made of what? Elastic. They stretch, right? Comfortable pants. So when other people come over to your house, you change your clothes, right? You begin to look a little more presentable. I think what Paul is getting at is that the word of Christ should dwell in us like we dwell in our houses in our comfy pants. Take that home with you today, right? That image is like we're not, we're not putting Jesus in a separate place where we only pull him out when certain people come over, but we're comfortable in Jesus. We're comfortable in the word of Christ. It is a regular, normal, everyday part of our lives. That's what it means for the word of Christ to dwell in us. The word of Christ is the gospel message. It is the life, death, resurrection, return, and reign of Jesus. What Jesus has done on our behalf. 
So what Paul is saying is that it should be a common thing for the word of Christ, the gospel, the teaching of Jesus to be in your life, for it to be living within you. But in order to do that, what do we have to do? Teaching, admonishing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You have to put the word in you, which is why we talk about things like Bible reading and study. It's the reason we talk about things like songs. It's the reason we meditate on the gospel. It's the reason we pray. Is Jesus the foundation of your community? Now, that is significant because in our world, People find all sorts of things to have community around. And that's okay, right? That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to be like connected with this sports team or this kind of game or this activity or this love of something. But what Paul is getting at is what distinguishes Christian community from all other kinds of community is who? Jesus. I hope that you like to spend time together. I hope that you know how to have fun together. I hope that you care for one another. But the foundation of the community that you and I, that we have together, is not all of those things. It is ultimately in the person of Jesus. So we let the word of Christ dwell within us richly lastly verse 17 i think this is paul's like catch-all he's like i know i'm missing something so let me just say do everything like jesus if you're in community just do everything like jesus verse 17 whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him i know it is beyond cliche and it's like 20 years old but what do we say W, W, J, doesn't, I'm not the only one. Yeah, thank you. What would Jesus do? And as cliche as that is, and corny as that is, that is at the core of what Paul is getting at. If you're thinking about doing something, you're thinking about saying something, remember that if you're a follower of Jesus, and especially if you're in community with other followers of Jesus, do every single thing in word or deed in the name of Jesus. So you're angry, you're ticked off, you want to tell somebody how you feel. Can you do that in the name of Jesus? <laughs> Maybe. I'm not saying you shouldn't confront people. But guess what? What are we supposed to bind all these other virtues with? Love. If you can't say what you need to say in love, then you probably can't say it in the name of Jesus. So Paul is just saying, listen, anything and everything, whatever it is, in the name of the Lord Jesus, do it that way, under his authority, in his direction, for his approval, for his purposes. That's what you're supposed to do. So are you living in community like Jesus would live? And here's the great thing. Jesus demonstrated what it's like to live in community. He had hundreds of people following him. He had a good group of 72 following him. He had an even smaller group of 12 
following him. And he had deep, intimate community with a group of three. Jesus didn't live in isolation. He knew he needed community, even as the Son of God, and he knew he needed to model community for you and I. So then all of this gets us to what this looks like practically. How do we cultivate the habit of community? I would encourage you, if you have that guidebook, to look at pages 28 and 29. Toward the back of this booklet, you're going to find just some practice. And honestly, in this section, it's more like some diagnostic questions to help you take whatever next step it is that you need to take toward community. So, very first thing, work on your own spiritual growth and maturity. And if you want to know, well, what does that look like? Go back and look at all of the deep and wide resources up to this point. Because the last three quarters have really focused on how you and I, how we develop and grow into the image of Jesus. But again, you have to take ownership of your spiritual development and spiritual growth first. Number two, you have to seek out community with others. Now, in the life of Vintage, the way we do this is through our V groups. Our V groups are small groups of 10 to 20 people that meet throughout our city for transformation, connection, and multiplication. What do we mean by those three words? Transformation. We're getting that through scripture and prayer. Connection through friendship and care. Multiplication through outreach and sending. There's nothing special about V groups. It's not like, you know, I've been studying the Word of God so closely and for so long that God revealed to me that the secret sauce is V-groups. This is just the way in which Vintage Church facilitates a smaller group of community. And you could join a group and nothing happened, by the way. But if you join a group and you are intentional in those relationships then the Spirit of God will use those relationships and that community to form you. So we have V groups. Next, this is where I think we go a little bit further in the cone. You need to identify two to three others you find spiritual friendship with. Now, everybody has made fun of me and voted me down for calling these things spiritual friendships. So, you know, I took the hint. We're not calling them spiritual friends but we are calling them formation groups. This is all kind of new. We've been tweaking some things in the life of Vintage. At the end of the gathering, you're going to hear from Montre White, our spiritual formation coordinator, and Christy Hagens, our V Women coordinator, and they're going to talk a little bit more about this. But our formation groups, are they're called formation groups because that's what their designed purpose is for, our spiritual formation. So here's how we define Those gender-specific groups of three to five individuals who meet regularly for the purpose, two important words, of intentional and intensive discipleship. What I mean by intentional is with this group of individuals, you have to intentionally say, we're not just going to be friends, but we are actually in this group for our spiritual growth and development. Number two, it's intensive meaning there's going to be work. It's going to involve you spending energy, spending time to see this happen. Now, here's the thing. I think every single one of us need this. 
And I'm not up here telling you this because I'm the holiest person in the room and say, I've got all of this and I've got it figured out. Because I don't. And I don't have this. And over the next three months, I'm going to be figuring out what does this look like for Dustin. And I'm challenging you that I think you need this as well. Lastly, oh, let me, before I skip ahead, I want to encourage you about this. We have an equip night on this. So mark your calendars, November 10th. That's a Wednesday night, 6.30 to 8 p.m. Montre and Christy are going to be leading us in what these look like and how we begin to take next steps in forming formation groups. So we're going to be sharing a whole lot more with you about that, but that's the date and time I would encourage you to be here. Lastly, with that group of spiritual friends, you have to develop a plan for intentional spiritual growth. I think about it like this. My son Gabe is in fourth grade. My daughter Emmeline is in second grade. While they are learning similar things, they are also learning different things. Why? Because one of them is older and the other one is younger. And they've learned things at different paces. And so some of the math that Gabe is doing is unlike the math that Emmeline is doing. In the same way, all of us are on different paths in our spiritual journey. And so as you get together with this group, your plan for spiritual growth and development might look different than somebody else's plan. And that's okay, just as long as you have an intentional plan to grow and develop in your faith. We all need community. And as I've shared, we need every level of community. You need this. This is not a waste of your time. You need a V group. That is not a waste of your time. You need a formation group. That is not a waste of your time. You have to cultivate your spiritual health on your own. It is not a waste of your time. Now, here's the challenge for you and I. We can love the idea of Christian community more than we love Christian community itself. One of my favorite authors, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor. He's got an incredible story. He's a German pastor who died uh, in a concentration camp during World War II. If you've never read him or know his story, go Google him and you can read all about him. But he wrote a book about community together called Life Together. And in the book, he says this, and I, I want you just to hang on his words. He says, those who love their dream of Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. And I think what he's getting at is that it's really hard to be in any sort of community. But a community grounded on Jesus where sin gets called out, where people get challenged to live and be more like Jesus, it's hard. It's not easy. But it's worth it. So every single one of us are probably at a different place regarding community. And my challenge for us over these next few months is to identify what your next step is. 
Some of you, you might recognize, listen, I'm not taking seriously enough my own personal walk with the Lord. And if I don't change this or I don't change that, nothing's ever going to change. And that's a great place to begin. So I've been focused on that, but I've never been in any sort of, you know, community, like 10 to 20 people, building friendships, caring for one another. V Group might be a good place to start. Some of you have been in those kinds of community, but you've never been in that intentional and intensive type of community. A formation group might be your next step. My challenge to you is just to figure out what that next step is and simply take it. And watch how God uses community to transform you, to change you into the person he wants you to become into the image of his son Jesus because every single one of us regardless of whether we like to be alone or we like to be around people or not that's what we're called to do become more like Jesus so what is your next step let's pray Father we love you We thank you, Father, that you love us. You loved us enough that you sent your son Jesus to save us. But God, at the same time, in your love, you didn't save us and leave us alone. You gave us community. And so, Father, I simply pray, God, that you would help us as we discuss and think about and pray about community to take whatever that next step is that we need to take. So help us now, Father, as we respond to you. We love you. We thank you that you love us. We ask all this in Jesus' name.